Welcome into the House of L podcast. I'm Lawrence. Thank you for checking out what's going on with my podcast. We try to bring you interesting guests every week, and I think that we have accomplished that yet again with this episode. I'm excited for you to hear the conversation that I had because I knew that I was going to get a chance to talk with Tim Hardaway. What I didn't realize is that he was going to be really generous with his time and he's exploring whether or not he wants to get more involved in this whole media field. So we talked a little bit about all of that, but because he had uh, time for me, it allowed for us to get into a bunch of different discussions and talk about a lot of things. And there's a ton of basketball. We talk about his career for sure. But we also talk about growing up in Chicago and for Chicagoans of a certain age, especially from the South Side and especially those who love basketball. I think that you'll find the conversation about Ben Wilson really interesting. What I didn't know was how tight Tim was with Ben Wilson and he speaks about him as intelligently as anyone could we had a really fun conversation and we did get serious we we talked a little bit about that that fateful statement on the levitard show where he said i hate gay people and how he's changed and how he feels like now it's his job to explain to people why that was wrong and and how he's changed as a person. So it's good stuff all the way around. And if you're a if you're a hoop head, you're gonna love some of the stories that he tells, including stories about Michael Jordan. He's got some great Michael Jordan stories. This was one of those things where I had Tim set up in one studio, but there was something going on in the studio. And Mitch was like, well, we can't just because we we have a studio. We, we have a studio at the score that is our update studio. And I like to do a lot of interviews in there. I, I think it's an interesting place. It's it's but he goes, we can't have Tim Hardaway in the update studio. It's like a closet. And I said, OK, cool. So he worked it out with BBM that I could use one of their studios. So we went. And you'll hear in the beginning me talking about the studio that we're in because it's I wasn't used to it. So I'm trying to figure a lot of things out I'm trying to hear it as well as I hear in other studios. But Tim was great. The conversation ended up really great. And I think that you will enjoy it. So episode 86. One of the architects of run TMC. The all star. The legendary point guard from the south side of Chicago, Carver High School, Tim Hardaway. It's not cool when you don't have your own stuff, huh? It's so weird, <laughs> man, when you get kind of taken out of your own thing. And right, right. Like, what is happening right now? Like, I, and I'm used to working in like a bunch of different studios, but this one, this is like a brand new. Oh, is that right? Oh, so it's, it's got a lot okay. of problems and oh, stuff okay. that we're working through. Right. Just like he said that the... Uh, Things are not working. Yeah, yeah. The, they're not working. So I gotta be. I gotta be better. Um, let me let me start here with you. So it it didn't dawn on me until someone pointed it out that 
Today I'm wearing a Allen Iverson crossover Jordan <laughs> shirt. And uh, anyone that knows Tim Hardaway knows that the crossover, I, I remember being young trying to do the Tim Hardaway crossover. So I got a lot of questions. One, how did you develop the crossover? <laughs> well, growing up in Chicago and we wasn't able to, uh, what I want to say, shoot the ball the way we, you know, all the time because of the wind. You know, you any any kind of day, summertime, wintertime, whatever, whenever you was outside playing basketball, you shoot the ball. If it was a gust of wind, it would just move your ball out the way and it, it, it was an air ball. So you had to know how to get to the rim and, and shoot over people. Growing up, I was always small. <laughs> You know, I, I, I knew I wasn't going to be 6'5", 6'6", 6'7". I knew I was going to be anywhere between 6'2", and 5'11". So I used to dribble in the street every day going, well, not in the street, up and down the A sidewalk block. going to get milk, cookies, cigarettes. Back then you had to have a note to have cigarettes to go for, for your parents. So every day I used to dribble the ball, and everybody said, there go that damn Tim dribbling the ball up down the block again. He must be going to the store. So as kids, we used to dribble in this box. And as we call it, the box is just a square of the um of So the like sidewalk. when you're playing four yeah, square. Yeah, yeah, like you're playing four square, but it's a square on on the um sidewalk. So we um we play back then it was like three or four of us on the sidewalk. So I'm dribbling around trying to get past these guys on the sidewalk, and if you touch the uh, grass, you're out of bounds. So I'm dribbling, holding this guy off between my legs, and and that's how I learned how to dribble between people. So in getting to your, your question, you had to have a move to get past somebody when you was playing one-on-one because back then in the 80s, it was it was all about hand-checking and moving you out, out of, off the position and – and moving you where you don't want to go. And I developed a crossover probably once I got out of high school and got to the to college at Texas El Paso, and I was working on my game one day, and I, I crossed somebody over between the legs in front of them, and he thought I was going left, and I went right, and I dunked on him, and this janitor, the custodian, was up in the, in the stands. I, we didn't know he was up there. He's like, oh, and we was like, what are you doing? You know, he scared us. And he said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then he walked away. And the guy, that was game. And the guy said, no, no. My teammate said, no, I can't uh, I can't lose like that. I said, what you mean? He said, no, I can't lose on you dunking on me. So I was like, okay, well, let's play another one. So I kept doing a crossover on him. And it was like, I, I didn't know I was doing it. It was just a move that I used. It was natural to It was to just you. very natural to me. And I just come, and I was just doing a crossover, and I was shooting jump shots, crossing them over, going to the hole, shooting left-hand, right-hand layups and stuff. And uh, that's how it revolved. And once it got to the NBA, it just magnified to the killer crossover. What's the best one you hit on someone? Oh, my God. Man, I don't, I guess John Stockton, you know, coming down the court and just doing it right in front of him. And he went, he bit on it really, really hard, and I laid him up. And the crowd were mad, especially at UTEP, because that was my first game, a preseason game, but it felt like a, a regular season game because both back then, you know, we didn't have four or five, six preseason games. You only had one or two preseason games. 
and you practice for a whole a whole October, two a days, half October, and the rest just one a days. So when you was able to get out and play against somebody, they played you you play your starters played like thirty minutes the first game. So we played about thirty minutes, and the first guy I did it on in the NBA was John Stockton at Texas El Paso. Did anyone? Ever say to you, you're not gonna cross me, Tim. You're not gonna cross oh, me. Oh man, of course, of course. Alvin Robinson. He was the first one. Tim, come on, the crossover. I want to see this. I've been hearing so much about it. Let me see this. You're going against the dog. You're going against the dog. I said, okay. Well, you're gonna see it firsthand, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> he saw it firsthand. Uh, you know, Derek Harper. Uh, he he saw it too. He, he he didn't think that he thought he could steal it from because Derek Harper he was a thief. Him and Alvin Robinson when they was out there and Maurice Cheeks they was thieves. They 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 could take it right out of your hand and go down there and lay it up on you. But I I knew that they was thieves and you have to be respectful of what they can do out there on the court on defensive end. I was very respectful of them and I and I when I did it on them they was like okay it's real. It's real. It's real. I'm, I got to figure out a way to get him back. Yes. I got to do something. I, no, no, what they, not to get me back, but they wanted to steal it. You know, they wanted to take it out of my hands. That's that's the ultimate goal. When I, you do the crossover and you and you steal it out of my hands, and I and I think I still have it and still going up for a layup, but they going down on the other end. Yeah, that that's 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 what they wanted to do. If you, someone asked you, hey, if a young player said, Tim, can you teach me to crossover? Yes. How how would you go about trying to teach it to them? Well, firstly, I, I I show them the basics of it. You got it's not really setting your man up, but it is setting your man up. You gotta go between your legs from right to left. It, but if you left handed, you go between your legs from left to right. But I was right handed, so when I come back in front of you with the crossover in front of you, then I I was going to my strong hand. So I cross you over. I I, I put it between the legs. And I go left. If you don't, if you don't stop me going left, I could take you all the way left for a left hand layup. But as a defensive man, the first move I do, you're gonna counter that move and you're gonna make me do another move. The next move is to cross over in front of you, but it's not a high crossover, it's a low crossover, and it's beneath your your right leg. And a lot of people think that because if you're going left, when you come back right, if you don't put it be below your leg, your right leg, then you're going to hit your leg. So I have to show it to you instead of explaining it to you. But you're actually it, doing a great <laughs> job of explaining it because it, it, you're right, because you have to keep balance. Right. You don't want to lose the ball. Exactly. But in the meantime, you're getting the opponent off balance Correct. by coming back that way. Correct. So that's the way it would work if you were going to teach it. Yes. That's awesome. All right, I want to go back to something else you said. Okay. It seems to me, and you're a prime example, and you brought it up a little bit, Chicago point guards are different. Mm-hmm. Why are Chicago point guards different? We wired differently. Um, we, we grew up with an edge on us. We grew up with a chip on our shoulders. We grew up with um, people telling us what we can't do, and we wanted to show them wrong. Like, we're too small. We can't we can't be able to run a team. You can't play defense. You're not going to be able to go in there and shoot over big people. You need to develop a jump shot. Um, and it, 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 but a lot of people think it was negative criticism. I put it as it was constructive criticism to let you understand this is what you need to work on, and this is how you need to work on it, and to get better 
and to get where you want to go in a game of basketball. And you always got to work on your game. And if you don't work on your game, you're not going to reach the goal that you want to reach. And I think that all the point guards that are in the NBA has worked on their game to where it needs to be and beyond. And and their confidence level is so high and their IQ of basketball is so high because they listen. They learn. They was a sponge. They wanted to get better. And like Derrick Rose, Kendrick Nunn, Pat Beverly, you know, those guys today, even Anthony Davis, he was going to be a point guard, but he grew to be 6'9". He was 6'2". Right, right. playing, he was playing point. He was playing point. So, you know, so and he used his point guard skills at 6'9 now to get him to where he needs to be effective out there on the court. So, and you got to understand other ball players too. Even though you're doing your thing, you still got to run your team. You still got to make other your teammates happy by giving them, giving them the ball and at the right time, at the right moment, and directing the traffic out there on the court for your teammates and giving your team a chance to win each and every night. And I think that goes back to the tutelage too. You know, you you got like I said, you got to listen. You got to learn from your coaches. Um, you got to take the good and the bad. And you got to be humble. And mm. I think all those guys are humble. You know, Patrick Beverly, he got chip on his sh- shoulder, but he's humble. You know, Jay, uh, Derrick Rose, he has a chip on his shoulder, but he's humble. You know, Kendrick Nunn, he has a, trip, a chip on his shoulder, but he's humble. When you talk to them guys, they tell you that they're very, very confident, but they still got a chip on their shoulder, and they humble. But they let you know that they go out there and ball, and they're going to ball with the best of them, and it's going to be a hard night for you. I think people who are from Chicago have a sense of this. I'm not sure that the rest of the country does, and maybe they do. Maybe I'm not giving them enough credit. But any of the outdoor parks in Chicago, if you I'm, – I'm a little dude, you know, like I, I play point. You're, you're going to get hit. Like it's, it's a physical, physical game. Yes. yes. I feel like that's – that's something that any one of the point guards that have made it to the highest levels of basketball from Chicago, they they went through a gauntlet, yes. you know, of dudes yes. that were like, "You're gonna have to go through me to get to yes. the basket." I'm 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 gonna tell you this. So, I grew up playing against Dan Brittman. You know, um, a lot of people don't give this guy credit, but a lot of people know him. He didn't make it to the NBA. It's a lot of guys from Chicago that didn't make it to the NBA for whatever reason it was, um, didn't make it. But we had to play against them. Tim Hardaway had to play against them. Isaiah Thomas had to play against them. Derrick Rose had to play against them. A lot of these recreation and, and pickup games and, and you playing with your friends, people here, we don't take it easy on each other. If you're going to come ball, you're going to come and ball. We're going to knock you down. We're going to pick you up full court. You can't get no foul, like a uh, foul. That's not a foul. We're not giving you that. You know, somebody steal a ball away from you, foul. No, 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 that's not a foul. We're not giving you that. When you come out on the court, you have to play, and you got to respect the others that you play against. And you got to bring it. If you don't bring it, then you're not that dude. So that's why – Everybody has a chip on their shoulder because every time they go out and play in Chicago against Chicago basketball players, them other guys going to put a chip 
on your shoulder or they're going to beat you down. And that's how you're going to make it because they don't take it easy on you. These people in Chicago, they play you rough. They play you tough. And if you don't play the way that you're supposed to play, they'll let you hear it. What's the best piece of coaching advice you got as a player? Man, be humble. Always be humble. Know where you come from. Don't, don't, don't forget where you come from. Always be confident. Go out there and play at the highest level and show people that you belong. But don't but one thing, don't never ever let anybody take your confidence away. Once somebody take your confidence away, you dead. You gotta believe in yourself and you gotta have confidence in yourself that you go out there and do anything you want to do out there on the court and can't nobody stop you. And that's the way I approach the game. Who is your favorite coach? Oh man. Cause you had a lot of them. Oh man, I'm gonna tell you this. A lot I I had a lot of them, right? Um my favorite coach that taught me everything about the game of basketball when I was in grammar school and I got all my fundamentals from from this guy, Donald Pittman, at Cone Elementary High School. He he's um he's a legendary coach here in Chicago. He is he did a lot of thing a lot of good great things in Chicago Public School District. And a lot of these high school coaches today today go to him for advice but one guy one coach that I always believed in I always confided in and always talked to was Donald Pittman because he instilled everything I just said into me I I'm looking right at you when you talk about him and I feel like I'm looking at a guy that's reaching back to his childhood for the coach that held him accountable Yes. That that's what it sounds like to me. If I'm yes. putting words in your mouth, let no. me know, but No, he definitely held he held all of us accountable. You know, but like I said, the people that left there and 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 were strong enough to deal with what he was saying, it stood it sustained in you. And I I talked to guys today that we went to Cone Elementary High School on 104th and State and they said without Donald Pittman being their coach, not not a gym teacher, being their coach and a friend and, and, and taught them about life in basketball, they wouldn't be where they at today. I'm going to flip a question that people ask uh, old timers all the time. A lot of times you guys get asked, what do you hate about the game right now? I'm not going to ask you that question, <laughs> Tim. I'm going to ask you, what do you love about the game right now? What do I love about the game? Man. I love when you watch people or some some guys play, how they really love the game of basketball, how they go out there and love what they're doing each and every night, like LeBron. He loves what he does each and every night. Like Kimber Walker, he loves what he does each and every night. That's what we we had, the passion. They had the passion. And that's why I love to see guys with passion and go out there and play the game the way it's supposed to be played each and every night. I, I That's what I love about the game. I always ask guys that played against Michael Jordan for a Jordan story. 
<laughs> I know you got at least one Jordan story that you can share with me. Oh, man. Uh, Mike was a unique basketball player. And, um, you know, we was in an all-star game together in New York. And um, I said, I walked in, and I said, who idea was it it to have me next to Michael Jordan, my, my, my seat right next to Michael Jordan? Mike said it was my idea. I said, why? He said, you know what? We never, never got to chop it up. You know, I've been around a lot of people, but we 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 never got to chop it up. And um, I was like, okay. So we chopped it up, man. It, it was cool. He wanted to pick your brain. Yeah, he wanted to pick my brain like I always wanted to pick his brain. But, I, you know, we just, we just chopped it up. But, you know, but after the game, it— I was still upset because I had to get to my lock because he got MVP. <laughs> and I couldn't get to my locker. I, I walked in. I was like, it was like 100 people around. I was like, look, man, I we cool and everything, but, you know, y'all got to move. Let me get my let me get to my locker, man. They, they, I was like, hold up, Mike. Can you stop talking for a couple of seconds? Let me get my stuff out, please. But, no, it, it was cool talking to him. Just just to chop it up with him, you know, just, just to – you know, be around him and, and not be around him playing against him or or in a competitiveness against him. It was just fun just to be around him just as a norm, normal two guys. What do you think you picked up from him? Um, Man, you know, just, just his approach to the game. Just how he approaches the game, how he wanted to win, how he didn't like losing, um, you know. It almost how, seemed like with Mike that he hated to lose more than he loved to win. Right, it was, it was. But you know, he, he loved and he always loved to be the Pat Rowley's team. <laughs> he 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 told me that I, I always loved to be the Pat Rowley's team because Pat Rowley thought he had the best defense to to hold me back, and I wanted to show him there was no defense for me. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, the, the the killer in Mike, like, as someone who grew up here, and I I know you can appreciate it. Like yeah, I was you, here. I was here when he. I, I I was here in '85 when he when he came, or '83 when he came. I was here, and and you just saw it, and you're just like, wow, and yes. I, and you're just sitting there going, how can I, how can I be that, and whatever it is that I'm doing. Like I want to be that. Mm-hmm. I, it's it's amazing that all the guys that are at the level that you played at have some of that, and then there's him, and he's on a whole different level. Yeah, yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, I'm, I'm I'm gonna say another thing. I was at the first game. They played the Washington Bullets back then. His rookie season. And he was playing against Jeff Rulin and Rick Mahorn. And they was notorious of, you know, back then they would have got kicked out the game. For now, sure. Now they would have got kicked out the game. Back then it wasn't even a flagrant foul. It was just a foul. So Mike went up for uh, a dunk. <laughs> and Jeff Rulin just put him on his back. 
I was in like the old stadium, third balcony. It was so quiet in there. If I would have dropped a pin from the third balcony, it would have hit the floor. We would have heard it in the third balcony. That's how quiet it was. Mike got up, holding his back, went to the locker room, holding his back. I don't know what they did to him or whatever, but he came back out. He he played the game. This was in the first half, first quarter. He played the game, but I think from then on out, he understood this is the NBA. This this is the NBA, and he I think that um that's where it started right then and there. How he you know how he approaches the game, how he wanted to win, and and how he uh, how he was going to be able to win in, in the NBA. So I, I saw it then. How was the thirty for thirty on on Run TMC? How did you feel about that? It was great. It was great. I enjoyed it. Um, you know, I think I think a lot of people enjoyed it. They 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 saw it and they had fun with it. We had fun with it. You, you guys, you uh, you you touched a nerve with basketball fans. People love that combination of guys, and it's been cool to see Golden State make sure that they like pay it proper respect, like yeah, that they era. Do. They do proper respect. What was it about what you guys were doing that made it so fun to watch? I think the NBA wasn't ready for that type of style of basketball at that particular time in the early 90s. Don Nelson was ahead of his time. Don Nelson created basketball as it is today in the 90s where you had a center bring the ball up and initiate offense initiate, you know, what to run, how to run it, you know, telling people what to do out there on the court. And a lot, and a lot of teams didn't understand it, and they're, and they're big men like, how am I going to stick this guy? He's he's dribbling the basketball, and that was Tom Tolbert or Tyrone Hill. You know, what, what, you know how am I going to – what are we going to do? So the way they playing now is how we used to play, and that's how come we was able to get away with it and running down the court. We didn't shoot that many threes either. We shot maybe 20 threes, 21 threes. Now, on the average, a team is shooting 30, 40 threes. That's an average now. But we but but we didn't shoot crazy threes either. You know, like, I'm going to shoot this three because I want to get it up, or I'm going to shoot this three because I didn't get a shot, or I'm going to shoot this three because this is what the analytics says I need to do. We shot threes to break a team's back. We shot threes because we was wide open. We shot threes because uh, it was how to get back in the game or to take it from 15 to 18. That's why why we shot threes. But, you know, the game, the, the, how we played, it was so fun. But And I want to tell you this. The other teams loved it when we came in because they, they said that they coach used to tell them, we're not going to run no plays. We're just going to play like they play. So they had more they had more fun playing against us than you know they wanted to. So 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 they they loved it when we came in. It's like, oh, what are you gonna do? We get we gotta win. We gotta shoot some shots up. So let's go out here and play. Let's so, go up and down. Yeah. Only said only time they called plays was when it was out of bounds, dead balls. That's insane. Mm-hmm. That they said they loved it when we came in town because they didn't have to run plays. Yeah, but they weren't used to doing no, it. No, they that weren't way. used to doing and it. And you guys well, are just that, we we loved it. We loved it. so y'all gonna try to play our way. Okay, beautiful. That's that that worked in our favor. Yeah, like yeah. all the time. Yeah. It works in your all favor. All day long. I got like three more questions I want to ask you. 
One, since you are the father of an NBA player, what advice would you give someone who thinks they might be good enough to get to the next level? Let's say they're a high school player that thinks that they can play D1 or D1 player that thinks that they can play in the league or a guy in the league that wants to be an all-star. What advice would you give them on what they should do and how they should prepare themselves? What you just said, that that was me to a T, okay? A lot of people didn't think I could play Division basketball, Division One basketball, and that troubled me. That 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 made me mad because you're not taking a chance on me. First of all, I was small, okay. I wanted to go to DePaul, I wanted to go to Illinois, but they was like, you know, we got Kendall Gill six six, we got Bruce Douglas six seven, we got you know Nick coming in at six six, and here at DePaul we have Rod Strickland coming in from New York, and so on, so on, so on, so. So I'm like, fine. So I go to Texas El Paso, and the coach said, you know, I had Tiny Archibald here. I was like, for real? He said, yeah, I had Nate Archibald here in the in the late 60s. I was like, oh, wow. Okay, oh, not late 60s, early 60s, before Bobby Joe. No, no, it was after Bobby Joe Hill in the 66 team. So I had, you know, I had him here, and um, you know, I had Bobby Joe Hill here. That's both of them are my height. Nate Archibald and Bobby Joe Hill from the 1966 championship team. They both my height. So he said, "Yeah, I love small guards. I believe in them, and I I know that they can uh, relish in my in my system and, and and run my team." So I went there, Texas El Paso, and it was the best thing ever happened to me in my life. Yeah. Great coach, understood low, you know, small ball players. Um made me understand how to run a team, didn't throw me out there right away, showed me I had to learn how to play defense, showed me I had to go through the system and, and prove myself and, and and make sure that I was able to go out there and, and, and play the way he wanted me to play out there. So um, it, it, I had to mature. I had to grow up. And that's another thing. You got to believe in yourself too. I believed in myself. And I knew that I will excel in whatever system that you put me in, but I had to implement my own stuff too. But you have to show your coach and practice that you can do other things. You know, I worked on my I worked on my jump shot. I went, back then when I was coming into college, I could only dribble and shoot. I couldn't catch and shoot. So mm. I had so after at that that after my first year at, in school, I had a this guy talks to me and said, Tim, you could catch, I'm going to help you catch and shoot. The only thing I want you to do, I'm going to pass you the ball, you just catch and shoot, you just keep moving, you're just going to catch and shoot. We're going to shoot 300 jump shots a day. He said, the first week is going to be ugly. I know I'm going to be running around and then throwing the balls to you, but I'm ready to work out and do whatever I need to do for you. And as months and months went by, I got better and better and better. So the only thing he had to do was stand up under the net and just throw me the ball. So that's how come my catch and shoots got a lot better. But you have to work on your game. I didn't know I was going to make the NBA. I did not know. The only reason how I knew I was going to make the NBA, I came back home, and at that time we played in summer leagues. Mm-hmm. I played against all the NBA guys, Craig Hodges, Doc Rivers, Mo Cheeks, uh, Ricky, uh, uh, Ricky Green. Uh, you got uh, Isaiah, you know, you got, 
a whole lot of Randy Brown, all of us, we played against each other. So that's what got me better and made me understand what I need to do to get better with running a team, shooting the ball, coming on fast breaks, laying up. And another thing was I had my grammar school coach as my coach as the summer league. So, you That'll know, help. yeah, that helped, that helped me a lot. So one day we was in, it was Nick Anderson, myself, I think it was Kendall, Alfred Hughes, and somebody else, Donald Reese. And we was playing against a Playboy team. And, of course, Michael Jordan always played on his team during the playoffs. So Fred Shepard that went to King High School, he was on, on the team. He said, oh, we got somebody for y'all tonight. Mike be here tonight. I was like, oh, really? I said, okay, mm-hmm. okay, that's cool. And um, they had Craig Hodges on the team. So they, you know, Mike ended up scoring 50-something. I ended up scoring 50-something. And uh, Mike was like, yeah, you got a chance. And right then and there, when you have somebody like Michael Jordan say, you got a chance, I like, I really do have a chance to make it in the NBA. And that was my junior year, going into my junior year. I'm like, okay, I got a chance. So that stuck with me. Nate Archibald was my assistant coach at Texas El Paso. He said, you, you, you got a chance. You have a chance to make it. I was like, wow, Michael Jordan, I mean, I got Hall of Fame. Nate Archibald telling me I got a chance. I was like, wow, you know. I better really listen. <laughs> I better really study and, and and really work on my game to get it better. And they said, no, no, no. You just need to never put no pressure on you. Just go out there and just play the way you're supposed to play and keep doing what you're supposed to do. And it, you're gonna, it's going to happen for you. Hmm. And it happened for me. Now, getting to that next level. I didn't know I was going to be an all-star. I didn't know I was going, when I made it to the NBA, I didn't know I, that I was going to start. I thought I was going to come off the bench and just, you know, have a bench role at first and then eventually start in my career. After my first year, well, going into my first year, halfway through the season, Don Nelson said, hey, you're starting point guard. You're going to be the engine to my, I'm going to give you the keys to run the engine. I was like, huh? He's like, yeah, you're going to be my point guard. I said, okay. And then the very next year at training camp, he said, look, this is Tim. It's the coach out there on the floor. You all, if he says something, do it because it's coming from me. And if you don't do it, then we got problems. And I'm looking like I'm going to tell Chris Mullen and Mitch, Mitch Richmond what to do. I'm like, come on, man. Are you serious? He like, yes. And you're going to do it. I said, okay. And that's how it all happened. He gave me the confidence to go out there and to be the coach out there on the court and to be the, the leader out there on the court. And it went from there. And, and you know, when you plan, you I'm not – you thinking about that's one of your goals to, to be on an all-star team, but I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking about getting to the playoffs. I want to get to the playoffs. That's where it's at, the playoffs. You know, even though the – you know, it's some people that never went to the All-Star game, but they, in the playoffs, they won in the playoffs. And that's where I wanted to be. 
So, yeah. Since you were in the city, um, I remember where I was. We're not too far apart in age. Do you remember when, when Benji Wilson died? I'm going to tell you this story. Ben Wilson and I, we were very good friends, just like a lot of us was friends with Benji. Benji and I, we used to play on the same team during the summer. We used to have a summer league team, and it was all high school guys. Benji, Nick, Byron Irvin, mm. myself, Tracy Dildy, Gerald Haywood. I just go on and on and on. And um, Brian Leach was on the team. And we just used to just go around <laughs> and and beating up on grown men. And they was like, who is the, who are these guys? And, you know, we, we used to talk smack. Yeah, we the next guys that's coming up that's, you know, we didn't know. We're going to make it. And we gonna, y'all going to be looking at us like, yeah, you know, whatever. But my first day of practice, my dad walks in. Dad never walks in. Practice. First day of practice. I, they said, y'all here? I said, well, first of all, I said, why are you here? Is my mom all right? Is my brother all right? What, what's going on? He said, uh, Benji just, you know, got shot. They, they rushed him to the hospital. I'm like, what? And so we looking on TV. And I said, I want to go over there. My dad said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And then he said, look at the TV. And I look, it's about a million people outside. It was no way that we were not even going to get close. We wouldn't get, even get in the building. So I said, all right, you're right. I mean, you know, you just had to use your sense. So um, everybody's praying for him, praying for him. And, and I think at midnight or something like that, they said that he's going to be all right. Then you wake up the next morning, you know, worst thing you could ever hear, you know. But um, we was, we, was, we was really good friends. I used to be out there. You know, with boxes, gym shoes, be right there on his porch. <laughs> he used to give them out to, I mean, you can only wear so many. He used right. to give it out to the neighborhood. Um, friendliest person, um, you know, nicest person uh, that you could ever be around. Um, the, the guy that was recruiting me, Russ Bradbert, he from the north side of Chicago. And he, went, he was a coach at uh, Texas El Paso. And we was playing at 71st Street Y over there off 71st Street, right by the railroad tracks. And Ben caught him with an elbow. <laughs> and he was steady talking to Ben, and blood was running down his face. We was like, yo, you bleeding. Ben was like, you're bleeding. He stayed talking to Ben like, yo, man, you know, I love how you play, and I wish you come to El Paso. And but. <laughs> <laughs> We was like, dude, you bleed, man. You bleed. Why don't you go over here and, and get get put something on it and clear it up or whatever? So he finally walked away. And I was like, yeah, I know. He he obsessed with you, man. You know, he already got me, but he, they, they, I guess this would make his whole life if he gets you too. So, but no, nah, that, that, that's how Ben was. You know, even though he hit him with the elbow, Ben was like, I'm sorry. You know, let's go over here and take care of it. But, you know, we just, um, um, I, we know he was going to be great. We know that he was going to be somebody that um, everybody knew, but, you know, it just happened too soon. I was nine when it happened. You know, I, I grew up in Roseland, so I grew up yeah. like 112th in Halstead, around okay. there. 
And I just remember, and then maybe this is me looking back, but I just remember the city just being quiet. Yeah. 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 Like after, like when he died, it was just like, especially the South side, but yes. I just remember it being quiet. Yes. It's, it's a weird thing, yes. man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he was next big thing, big, big thing after Isaiah and Mark coming out of Chicago. No question. And, um, you know, man, that hurt everybody, hurt everybody. And you're right. It was a hush over the city like no other. Last thing I got for you. You've been through a lot on the court. You've been through a lot in your post-life. I want to know how have you evolved and grown as a man? Man, you know, that's a great question. And I think your family and your kids have a lot to do with that. You know, just being around family and, and your kids. and Because parenting never stops. You know, you, you, you always want to set an example for your kids and, and, and show them that what to do, how to do it the right way. And I think that's how, and, and you got to, and you got to have, you still got to have mentors. You know, you still got to, you still got to talk to people. You still got to talk to the people that brought you up, your parents. You know, you still got to talk to your coaches because you, you still, you, you think you know it all. You still, I mean, because they older than you, they still know a little bit more than you. But, um, you know, I think that you have to just go on what your parents, and, and, and I was fortunate. You know, even though my mom and my dad divorced each other at a young age, my dad was still a big part of my life, and he still is a big part of my life. And and so um, I was fortunate to have both of them in my lives to still teach me about what's right and what's wrong and how to deal with stuff each and every day. So um, I, I, I still rely on them and that while I was growing up because I still think about, in this instance, what would I do back then and what would I do now? And it's all about just maturing and growing up and understanding that you you have you have kids, you had a wife, you know, and you 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 don't want them to be embarrassed or you don't want them to be you don't want them to be upset with you. So you gotta set examples each and every day for them, you know, and make sure that they understand that you know you're doing it the right way and it's the way it's supposed to be done. But it's I mean, life is it's life. And it's every day is different. And you have to deal with other people's problems too because other people have problems each and every day. And you got to know who to mess with at that particular time or that day because they might they might need you. They might need your ear. They might need to talk to you. Or you might not want to hear them. You want to say, look, I'm not today. You know, so it, it's a lot of different things going on in different people's lives and you have to deal with it accordingly. But I think everybody has to treat each other with respect. And I think everybody has to respect one another and, and understand that, you know, you have good days, you have bad days, and respect those good days and respect those bad days and try to be friends and 
going from there. But that that's that's how I look at it. I, I, I'm the same way every day. I speak to everybody every day. I'm respectable to everybody every day. Um, I'm not trying to put nobody in harm's way. And I just want, you know, everybody to have fun and enjoy life because life is too short. It seems like you really learned and that you've kind of become this like, like it's almost like you had this moment with the the Levitard show comments mm-hmm. and you took those that moment as an opportunity to learn. No question. And now I feel like I'm I'm looking at a different Tim Hardaway. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm looking at a man that that figured out, okay, I messed up. Yes. No question. <laughs> I, I messed up on that one. Yes. Watch me learn. Watch yes. me take what I've learned. And now I feel like you're kind of almost like an ambassador that you're trying to bring people together no to try question. and understand. Is that fair? Yes. Yeah, that is fair. That is correct. You know, I hear people in a locker room and I'm talking not not in the NBA locker room. I'm just talking about where I go to work out at and I hear them like, hey, 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 you know, that's not cool. You know, don't call it that or don't say that about whatever, you know, and just respect everybody. And they'd be like, oh, you know, why you say that? I say, because that's not cool. You know, let, let, let's try to educate ourselves on a lot of things. And, they, and, they, and like I said, we all respectable and we can all talk in a locker room and, and, and not be hostile. And, and that's what it's all about. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you. Too. Thank you for having me on. I no, appreciate are that. you kidding me? The, yeah. Shoot, we could. <laughs> oh, we go all day. We go all day, all night. All day yeah, yeah, yeah. About no this, but no but I appreciate you coming here and and being as open and as honest. Thank you. And I appreciate everything that you're doing, man. And whatever you need from me or my show, the door is open. I appreciate it. all the time. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. I'm involved, and I market this this dribbling device called Dream Dribble. It's by Dream. It's Dream Silencer by Dream Dribble. If you go to DreamDribble.com and look up this device, it's the greatest thing, especially now for kids in the house. You know, parents, you kids dribble around the house, and it's all about noise. Boy, put that ball up. I'm tired of listening to that noise. You know, I just came home from work. Put the ball up. We, these guys, and I'm endorsing this, made this device where you could dribble on it and it doesn't make any noise, okay? And you could work on your ball handling skills like you like we we're saying in a box. You could work on your ball handling skills, and you can. Um, what I want to say is you could do in and out moves, between the leg moves. You and it's about repetition, and it's about muscle memory. If you got repetition and muscle memory, it's just like me shooting 300 times, 400 times, 500 jump shots a day. Well, I know if I shoot it the same way all the time, I know that I'm not going to deviate from that shot. I'm going to shoot the same way because I've done it, you know, a million times that whole summer. So my muscle memory is the same. So if you dribble on this device, your muscle memory is going to be the same as you dribbling on a basketball court against somebody. Because guess what? When you're dribbling, when you first start dribbling, the only thing you're doing is standing still and you're dribbling and you're trying to get the feel of the basketball. You're trying to get the muscle memory. Because a lot of people can't walk and chew bubble gum. And so a lot of people can't walk and, and dribble the basketball. So you got to start up some way by start dribbling in and, 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 and one spot so you can 
so you can have confidence that you can dribble the basketball. So this is called Dream Dribble, and I advise everyone to get it for Christmas for their kids because, first of all, you're not going to hear any noise. Second of all, you know that your son, and, and they need to work on their games after practice. So this is a great way to work on your game and to work on your dribbling after practice, watching basketball and trying to do moves that you can't do, and this will help you do those moves. Happy to help out in thank that regard. You. We good. All right, thank you. So that was my conversation with Tim. I, I really enjoyed our time together. I thought he was great. The basketball stories were great, and I hope that if he wants to go into media full-time, that he has the opportunity. I think that he has a lot to, to share and a lot of stories. And now what people are asking for is content, and I think that he has a chance to create a lot of great content. So big thanks to him for, for stopping by and hanging out for so long while we were talking. It was a lot of fun for me. And I, I love the Ben Wilson stories. And I remember being nine years old when Ben Wilson was murdered and what that was like, how it was covered. And like I was telling Tim and, and Tim agreed. The city was so quiet. And on the south side, it was just heartbreaking. Like, the whole thing was just, he was supposed to be the next dude. And to have his life snuffed out is horrendous. It, it resonates to Chicagoans of a certain age even today. So, thanks to Tim for sharing all the stuff. I have some of your emails. If you'd like to email the show, Podcast at gmail.com. And as I said on last week's episode... Send me some audio. Like, instead of typing out your question, just record it and email it to me. And then I'll put it in, like, instead of it, I'd have an audio clip of you asking me, like, you saying your name and that you like the podcast. And then you'd have your question and I could put it into the podcast. Let's see if we can take the podcast to the next level. Anyway, this is from Scott. Scott says, Lawrence, Chris was great on the conference call, but I really enjoy the sound of you in person with guests. Did I already read this one? I don't think so. What you create when in person with guests has been extremely fun to listen to. And that's from Scott. Oh, he also asked, can I get Regina King on the podcast? I would love to talk to Regina King because I've been a Regina King fan since 227. And I think it's interesting that considering that her boyfriend on 227 was Calvin, that the character... On Watchmen is Cal. I don't know if that's something that they tied in, but I thought it was kind of funny and it made me snicker. I loved her on Boondocks as well. And she's just a she's just a gangster, you know? So yeah, I'd love to have Regina on the show. Look, man, here's the deal with the podcast. Some people I can get to and I can get them in person, but it's difficult, whether it's inviting people over to the house or getting them downtown in studio. It's a difficult task. So whatever it takes, I mean, if, if I have to talk with people like I'll, I'll tell you, one of the people that I'm looking forward to having on the podcast soon is Sarah Kustak. And I Sarah's out covering the nets, man. Like I, it's hard to find a time where everything matches up where like she might be like, let's say she's in town because the nets are playing the Bulls. That doesn't mean that her schedule that day is going to match up with mine. So 
If I have to do it this way, then that's the way I got to do it. Well, I appreciate your email. All right, let's see who else is in here. And again, you can email the podcast at House of L Podcast at Gmail. This is from Angel, or is it Angel? Hi, Lawrence. Just want to say I've been enjoying listening to your House of L podcast while working on my TPS reports. I'm a longtime diehard scorehead. I can honestly say that I enjoy the podcast almost as much as I enjoy listening to the score, sometimes even more. That's from Angel or Angel. I appreciate that. That's very nice of you to say, oh, looking, I don't want to give away where you work, but it looks like you work over on the east side. Um, shout out to the east side of Chicago is often forgotten about. It's funny because, you know, considering where Carver is and who our guest was today. But yeah, thank you for the really nice words. I like doing this podcast a lot. It's a lot of fun. And I've, I've really, really enjoyed talking to as many people as I've talked to on the 86 episodes so far. And I'm looking forward to kind of bigger and better things in, in the future. I'm debating whether or not, like, I need to ask Ranji. I didn't ask his permission for this, but I'm debating, like, getting a YouTube page. And, like, I could put the interview with Ranji on YouTube for people if they wanted to watch us interacting with each other even though we weren't in the same room but we'll see we'll see how that ends up working out um, but so far so good and I'm glad that you get something out of it it's funny I've talked with some younger journalists who have actually gone back over episodes and they like some of the stuff that they hear I always find that uh, I, I always appreciate that when people say that they from a journalistic standpoint got something out of the podcast that's kind of the goal it's the whole point. So that'll do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Your support of the podcast is great. And I'm not kidding. Send me an audio clip of you asking a question. Even a video clip will do. But just email me some audio and I will throw it into the podcast. All right. Thank you for listening. Hit me up. Peace.